Hi everyone, and welcome to this episode of Creativity Sucks, a new podcast from Creative Review magazine. I'm Eliza Williams, CR's editor, and I'll be your host for this show. In case this is the first episode of Creativity Sucks that you've listened to, I'll start with a quick caveat. We at CR actually love creativity and think it's vital to society and business, but we do think that some parts of the ad and design industries could do with some change and examination, which is what we're trying to do with this podcast series. In this episode, we're going to take a look at political advertising and design and examine what role it takes in helping us to get out and vote and generally care about who runs our countries. As everyone will be all too aware, we're living through particularly turbulent political times with division, argument and even unrest taking place all over the world. With this backdrop, I'd like to examine what role design and advertising can play in politics and whether it can be used to help ease some of the political division we are seeing or if it is more powerful as a tool for stoking it. To do this, I'm joined by three expert guests. Jeremy Sinclair, who over a long career at Saatchi & Saatchi and MNC Saatchi in London, worked on numerous campaigns for the UK Conservative Party, including acting as creative director on the famous Labour Isn't Working campaign from 1978. Sana Iqbal, a graphic designer who has worked with the UK Labour Party, and Ben Gearin, a founding partner at the agency Topham Gearin, who has worked on campaigns for a range of political clients, including the Conservative Party in the UK and the Liberal Party in Australia. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hi. Hello. Hello. So to start with, it would be great if you could all give me your broad views on the current use of design and advertising in politics. Do you think politicians make good use of the skills of designers and advertisers? Ben, perhaps I could come to you first for this. I think, as with everything, Eliza, there are some great examples of design and advertising in the world of politics and some truly atrocious ones. Um, and but, but to start with, you know, we've seen some really interesting, notable examples of effective design in the last few years and design that plays a huge role in making politics accessible and interesting through, through new ideas. We saw this in 2019 with Get Brexit Done, which, you know, was a shorthand for, you know, the, the government's or the, the, the Conservative Party's agenda to resolve a legislative deadlock in Westminster to pass the necessary laws for Brexit. Now, what I just said there isn't too compelling when you put it on a billboard or say it in a husting. And so the language of Get Brexit Done acted to simplify, you know, what was essentially a, a complex political strategy. And I think that's actually a really great example of, you know, design helping to make politics accessible. We saw something similar during the COVID-19 pandemic with the stay home, protect the NHS, save lives slogan that, you know, we all remember far too well. And if you're anything like me, probably brings back some kind of PTSD. And this, this was an articulation of the government's strategy to flatten the curve during COVID. If we stayed home, it would protect the NHS and that would allow us to save lives. And it's a really clear example of the effective use of, of advertising by sort of developing that slogan and getting it in front of everybody, and the design with that emergency branding, you know, ominous black, red, and yellow that was, you know, plastered all over our, our sort of TV screens and social media. So design has got a huge role to play, and there have been a number of examples, notably, where it's been really effective. But that's only half the picture. We've also got to get those ideas in front of people, and that's where advertising is so key. 
And ideally, using social media, we get people to produce their own content about these ideas. To go back to stay home, we had the brilliant podium signs that you know we'd all watch every few days as they'd swap out. But we also had people you know, using the hashtag stay home, save lives on their own social media content, updating their profile pics and frames. And that was arguably even more effective at changing behavior than swapping out the profile pic for the number 10 press conference on the, on the lectern. Yes, that's some great examples of really recent stuff. Sana, I think I'll come to you next. In your experience, do you feel that people listen to designers and listen to advertisers when it comes to politicians and and political groups? So I I think it depends who you're working with. Um, So I I guess I can be quite fussy with my clients because I've had a whole range of experiences where um, some clients almost treat you like or treat design as like a tool for production rather than a tool to resolve problems. And those politicians or councillors or whoever they are, who are, I would say the smart ones, are the ones who work with advertisers and designers to resolve the problems that have a more strategic approach. Um, And I feel like that's slowly becoming a better use of design and and councillors and politicians are using that more so. So whereas before I was very much told, can you just produce me a leaflet? Can you just make me a logo within like a two day time frame? And you didn't really allow me to have much thought. And why now when I work with people um, and I say to them, okay, we need a bit more time. Let's have a look at your strategy. Let's have a look at your narrative. What is it you truly want to say and have a more holistic approach to everything? People are more willing to do that. I feel the USA are kind of better at that. And you perhaps see that in the design work coming out. So like notably two campaigns I really love and kind of refer to is the AOC campaign for Congress. And what I loved about her campaign was how she treated um, like Spanish as an integral part of the design and making sure like her design was accessible to everybody in the community is so important. Um, And then for perhaps a visual and an exciting point of view, um, the work done by um, the New York City councillor Chiose, um, that again for me has so much kind of... um, it was just aesthetically beautiful, kind of refer back to kind of his background, his story, everything he stood for. So I think the USA generally is better in that way, but the UK is slowly coming along. Now I'm talking to more more people. So yeah, that's kind of how I feel at the moment. Very good. Uh, Jeremy, in your experience, and maybe some of this is more historical than right now, I'm not sure, but do you feel that it's interesting what Sana was saying then about... Um, maybe bringing in the advertising teams and the designers a bit late in the process and that it's all a bit last minute. Is that your experience or do you think there there is a sort of understanding that if you're there from the start, you'll get a better campaign? I would certainly say that the, uh, the sooner the better, the sooner that uh, the design is brought, designers are brought into it, the better. Um, but the, my overall point would be a great client is a rare, rare creature. And you don't find many of them. There's one or two you meet and you get great work. But for the most part, people think it's something you can pour on at the end, like salt and pepper, but you can't. It's got to be an integral part of it. I think the the one that Ben suggested, the COVID one, I thought that was terrific. And it was terrific not from a design point of view. I think it's a highly creative thing to tell people to stay home to save the NHS. So rather than save your own life or your granny or your kids, 
you're doing it to save the NHS. I mean, it's a highly creative way of coming at it. So uh, the, with that example, I think the uh, process is alive and well, but it's the exception rather than the rule. Yes. I mean, maybe you could carry on and talk a little bit about historically how it's worked. I mean, when you worked on on projects, I mean, I feel like the Labour Isn't Working poster sort of, in my mind, kicked off where we are now in a way, even though it's, what, 1978. Um, I felt it began the... Um, the sort of process we are now, both in the, in terms of perhaps the slogans that Ben was referring to, but also that quite combative uh, way of talking about politics that we see we see quite a lot now, which is obviously very different to the "stay home and save lives" message, which is was more of a a government message, I suppose. I mean, hugely important, but less of a sort of political party message. Could you just talk a little bit about when? looking back at that time, what the advertising for politics was like then and, and how significant was that poster at that time? When we got the Conservative Party, when we won it, we decided just to treat it like any other client. We'd done lots and lots of works for the Health Education Council, trying to persuade people not to smoke too much, not to smoke if they're pregnant, not to get VD and all sorts of things. So we loved doing government-type work. And the bigger the audience, the more we liked it. And the chance to do great work, we could never resist it. So when the Conservatives came to us, we thought, bingo, we've got an entire population we're talking to. We couldn't ask for more more audience than that. And uh, when we did Labour Isn't Working, it was written by my deputy, a chap called Andrew Rutherford. I remember presenting it to the client. And oddly enough, there was Charles Sarchie, me, Andrew in the room at the time, and the client. And the client was a chap called Gordon Reese. And I remember him jumping up and down when he saw Labour Isn't Working because he said, Labour will hate this. And that was a key as to what, the more we could irritate the other side, the more he loved it. And indeed, it's what, it's, it's what happened. Now, when it was shown to Mrs T, Mrs Thatcher, she said, it's a bit odd that the largest word on the poster is Labour, and we're the Conservative. Anyway, Mrs T, being a great client, took advice from the professionals and was assured that the fact that Labour isn't working was exactly the right thing for us to be saying. And indeed, I don't know if you read the Daily Mail, but two weeks ago, Labour isn't working was the headline on the front page of the Daily Mail. So it's nice to see that good ads live forever. Yeah, I mean, certainly Labour isn't working, I feel, has been, um, has haunted the Labour Party ever since. I mean, Sana, would you say that that slogan has been one of the most uh, powerful ones in terms of winding up the Labour Party? It's really effective. Um, it's just as a kind of compliment to Jeremy and the team. It's something which, and I even study at university, um, all that kind of campaign work, and it still stands the test of time. And you can you can see that from the amount of iterations I've seen of that poster, um, the amount of time I've seen it kind of taken by the Labour Party and they kind of spun around to say, you know, Tories aren't working and all kind of different... Um, changes to it is kind of a testament of how good it is um so yeah that's why i would say it still haunts to this day because it's constantly changed in a whole variety of ways and if i could just add the more people complained about it the more famous it become and so in many ways we didn't spend millions on advertising it was made famous by the dear labor party because they kept complaining about it and they they were so hated it that they couldn't even say Saatchi, they had to call it Saatchi. So they, they kept sort of abusing it. And the more they abused it, the more the media would run it to show us 
what they were complaining about. Yes, the power of aggravation. Ben, some of the stuff that you guys have done for the Conservative Party on social media does seem designed to sort of certainly wind up the opposition and kind of poke fun. Would you agree with that? Would you say that's what part of the intention is? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but no, yes, absolutely. We often get criticised in our work uh, for, you know, um, producing producing memes, you know, often upsetting graphic designers with a rather, you know, crudely drawn uh, our work, which is designed to provoke a response. But fundamentally, that's what effective communication is. You know, we're in dialogue with our audience and, you know, Labour isn't working. Yes, it was a poster, but it was also a meme. And memes fuel creation and reuse. And that's what Sana, you're speaking about, you know, with, with people remixing and repurposing it. The best ideas lead them, lend themselves to that kind of co-creation. And that's a principle that we take pretty seriously because social media is incredibly powerful in the way that it allows people to respond and react and reuse content. So that's something that, you know, is really at the heart of, of, of a lot of the work that we've done. You know, in 2019, we, you know, produced a bunch of, um, you know, posters around the social media graphics and, and, and one ended up being an, an out-of-home poster as well, just saying get Brexit done in a variety of terrible fonts and awful colours. And it was the repetition and the, you know, just the provocative use of design here that was in itself the conversation starter. We had a BBC journalist um, at the time sort of getting really, really invested in this. Um, and, and we replied to him, I think it was Johnny Durso at the time, we replied to him with his own sort of get Brexit done graphic in Comic Sans font. And that was essentially the match that uh, set the tinderbox alight because, you know, for every graphic designer, this font is, is a pariah. You know, you don't ever use it on anything, let alone the incumbent Conservative Party using it in the lead up to an election. And we just, you know, the, the, that resulted in a huge amount of free media for us. It, it helped elevate Get Brexit Done from just another political slogan to, you know, something that people were talking about in a, in, in a sort of a relatable way. So the best ideas can become memes. I think, you know, building on labour isn't working. You know, I do think that's played a huge role in helping to shape the, you know, strong and proud advertising tradition in the UK, right? The fact that we're talking about it so much now does mean it will always be a benchmark for future ads to be compared against. I also think it made a really important job of, of making politics sexy. I'm not sure if uh, Maggie Thatcher would have agreed with that assessment, but it did help the parties think of themselves as brands, or at least that's sort of you know, my, 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 my take on that. Yeah, would you agree with that, Jeremy? Did that continue after that poster with the Conservative Party, that they continue to recognise the power of good advertising? Oh, certainly, because in those days we would, not only did we do their posters and the press ads, we used to do the part of political broadcast. They, they rolled the whole thing at us, which was terrific. So you then you had a sort of eight minutes commercial in which to get make, get points over. So it was, I think it was, the, it was a sort of golden age in some ways for a political party trusting their design and advertising. Indeed. It's interesting, Ben, you were saying about... Um the anti-design approach you took. I mean, we at Creative Review, we we wrote about that and how you were kind of trolling designers with it. Sana, you've recently been doing some work um, for the Labour Party in Lewisham uh, for the the recent local elections that happened in, in May this year in, in Lewisham. And yours was the sort of opposite to that in that you used very kind of beautiful design on leaflets, which are often the sort of... Um, 
I don't know, the, the most neglected part of political campaigning, I think, that we get stuffed a lot of leaflets through the door and often they don't look particularly nice. And the ones that you did seemed particularly carefully designed. How much did people respond to that, do you think? How much did the design matter in those elections for, for Lewisham? I think they were really important. And just kind of jumping back to the point Jeremy and Ben were saying about um, Labour isn't working post and how it's reused again and again. Something I found really interesting is that I think advertising and design in the last few years is almost a repeat of the past. And you see that a lot with the use of like the double whammy used again and again. And, you know, somebody's in somebody's pocket used again. Um, but I was really kind of conscious of that because there's a feeling at the moment, um, wherever you may lay on the political spectrum of everybody kind of referring to the past and nobody giving anything set for the future. And I think everybody's kind of crying out for, you know, some kind of vision, some kind of answer. For me, that's why I almost want to do the the opposite of using any kind of old reference to a degree and wanted something to be very new and very different. So with the Lewisham work, I was very kind of conscious of that. This is where, you know, you know to Jerry's point, you know, I had a dream client who was very open to listening to me and very open to kind of being very strategic in our conversations. And the one thing I said to my team down Lewisham was, you know, the biggest threat you have isn't the Conservative Party or the Liberal Democrats or the Greens. Is apathy and we need to break through that apathy in order for you to get people at the ballot box to vote for you and that's for me is where um, making sure the design work for Lewisham was beautiful and was engaging because um, this is a little secret of mine I'm somebody who if I go to somebody's house I will look and see if you have political leaflets I love like taking them and gathering them and I always find whoever's house I go to they're always in the junk pile Nobody looks at them, they just get piled up and like rifling through them. And I always take them for my collection. But that's something that I don't want people's, my, well, the leaf that I produce to end up in that junk mail, like pile. I want it to be taken with them and people to look at it and be like, oh, what is this? And I know that's the first thing I want people to think is, what is this? Not to think, oh, it's another Labour or Conservative leaflet. What is this? What's, you know, to create that intrigue and excitement. And that's something, um, the response I got a lot of the time was, I saw this leaflet come through, and at first my reaction wasn't that with a Labour leaflet. They said, oh gosh, this is beautiful, what is it? Then they would open it up, then they would read about the campaign itself. And that's something I feel is so important with advertising and design, is that we're also trying to be aware how we can cut through, especially this kind of apathetic um, mindset we see so much of, well, in the public realm across the world, actually. Sana, I want to pick up on something that you said there about cutting through, because I think that's absolutely what our job is. You know, some sometimes, you know, creatives can take ourselves a bit too seriously, and we can think that our, our job is to produce stuff to be hung in the tate, when actually our job is to produce stuff that gets looked at by human beings, and that starts with them picking it up. And, you know, and, and, and the example that you mentioned there about, you know, rifling through leaflets, you know, often you know, a great strategy can be to have something that looks and feels fantastic. It depends very much, obviously, on, on the channel that you're using, right? You know, we've got to make stuff that looks and feels distinctive from everything else that it's competing with. Exactly. And I think there's like another layer with that is I feel like everybody's leaflets at the moment feels the same. Like regardless of the party, everybody has like a set template and everybody looks the same. 
And when it comes to, let's say, local elections and local issues, um, for me, I see that as an opportunity to do something which looks different, which just has the weight of a general election, um, because local issues are just important. And I find often these templates are just, they are computer generated. So they look it as well, and they look really ugly. There's lots of text. You can almost see somebody's face is half cropped off because the template wouldn't allow them to have their, their picture moved up properly. So just allowing a designer to come in and give it some real considered design um, always shows the electorate that I consider your vote as something important, that I just don't expect you to vote, um, that I'm actually going to try and earn it because I've taken so much time and effort um, in this. But just sorry, just to add another layer to this as well, something I've learned um, through my campaign work is that we talk a lot about design and advertising and often the deliverable side of things, so the end post or the end leaflet. But for me, also, the whole experience is so important. That's something which, um, you know, Michael Wolf talks a lot about when it comes to brand for like the corporate world, like even how the receptionist talks to you at the desk is just as important as the logo design. And for me, that's the same with any kind of campaign, how the volunteers are kind of inducted in their experience to make sure they're really enthusiastic when they're knocking everyone's doors to the environment you create for like the phone call center for all the volunteers who spent all that time and effort, that's just as important, dare I say, even to a degree more important than just the leaflet at the end. I would totally agree with that. I wonder how much that happens in a sort of centralised way. I mean, Ben, when you've worked with different parties, do you find there is a sort of, um, there is a kind of code of conduct, whether that's in, in terms of design or the wider messaging that really runs through stuff? Or does it does it tend to sort of vary for which MP it is or which local area it is? There is often a code of, you know, a design guideline or, you know, creative, you know, approach that parties have. And you need that. You know, let's be honest. If if you're a a party in the UK, you're competing in hundreds and hundreds of seats. You've got thousands of councillors. You've got enormous amounts of collateral being produced. And they're all representing a brand. So if you don't have guidelines and templates for people to use then you're either going to have a total hodgepodge of content out there that just looks messy, or you're going to have to centralise everything, which puts you know, huge demands on the work. So you've got to create principles. And so we're sort of torn, right, between how do you do something that is efficient, which is using a design guideline and, and, and brand system, but also effective, i.e. actually gets the results that we're asking, And that's why sometimes we end up in a position where the rules are made to be broken. The work that we often do is when we come in on a campaign, you know, we get brought in to change the style guide because the style guide's great for stuff that's being done at the local level or when you need to do a lot at once and you've just got to compromise. But when you're doing a party political broadcast or when you're, you know, producing some social media content, you know, in the final week of a campaign, you've got to throw the rules out the window because if you try and do what's been done before, nobody's going to pay any attention to it because they will feel, rightly enough, that they've already seen it. So I think that's one of the key challenges for creatives in a political environment is understanding when the rules matter and when they need to be challenged. Yes, it's interesting. And also, because I totally see what you say, actually, because, of course, there's huge exhaustion by the end of a campaign and people want to be surprised. And obviously, those moments are also the crucial ones for when people are actually going to cast their vote, aren't there? 
I mean, social media gets a lot of uh, criticism for how aggressive it is, and especially around politics. How much do you consider that when you're doing those social campaigns, that whether you're going to be stoking division or whether you're going to be just having fun with people? Well, you know, as communicators, we've got, you know, an, an enormous, um, you know, opportunity through our channels to reach people and, and you know, hopefully with a bit of luck, you know, persuade them to support, uh, you know, our, our party or our candidate in the context of an election. Um, social media is social for a reason. And too often, media planners and strategists get all caught up by comparing, you know, Instagram and TikTok and all these channels to TV and radio. Because it's easier to do it that way and just look at social media channels as another place for reach and impressions and engagements. But there's so much more than that. Social media channels are a place where we can invite the audience to participate, not just consume content passively. In our experience, we've found that the best advertising is not the video or the graphic that we're putting out itself, but the comments and the shares and the reactions on it. Because that shows peer endorsement, which is so much more powerful than comms coming from ourselves. So one of the key things to think about on social is actually that whole ecosystem of where and how and when your content is going to be engaged with and thinking about how that makes it persuasive, not just the message in the unit of advertising itself. In terms of thinking about you know, how that responds to you know, the, 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 the concerns that people have, you know, people are going to be, you know, enthusiastic on social media about things that they believe in. And they're going to look for language and content that helps them express those thoughts. So one of the reasons why Labour isn't working was so powerful was because it created a language for people that already felt like the Labour government at the time wasn't really delivering, wasn't working, to express that, right? And so you might have said, oh, well, you know, I don't think the economy is going as well as it could. I don't think that access to jobs is as good as it could be. You know, the rubbish isn't being collected. But Labour isn't working creates a device that can represent all of that. And we did the same thing with Get Brexit Done. We created a device to represent, you know, the government's legislative agenda and the values that they believed in. So in that respect, actually creating language that people can use to, you know, better participate in discussion can actually be a force for good. It can certainly be a force, I think. It's difficult because those slogans are so powerful and they sort of sum up things, as you say, that are very complex, really. But I wonder, Jeremy, I feel I should come to you here as you um, worked on Labour Isn't Working. I mean, do you ever feel that the that it spawned a sort of era of slogans that, that now sort of simplify things that are so complicated in a way that could perhaps be a negative thing? Or do you feel always that kind of powerful summing up is what we need in, in political advertising? Okay. The revolutionary thing is uh, where Labour isn't working, it didn't show a picture of the client. If you look at political advertising for that, and going back to the point about local elections, most of them show a picture, a picture of the potential MP. And if that makes you want to vote for them, you're in the wrong business. They're in the wrong business. So I think the revolutionary thing about Labour isn't working, it was taking an issue and issues and making them famous. And touching on the other point about design rules, just picking up on that, the Conservatives in a way were lucky because they had the same agency over many decades and we stuck to the same typeface. Now, I know it's not a major thing, maybe, but having the same look and the same feel save you a lot of effort, a lot of work. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question at all, but I think issues were the thing that we wanted to talk about and not just have 
face of if you if you look before before Mrs T came along, the the prime minister and the leader of the opposition was a chap called um, Ted Heath, and if you look at his posters, they kept showing his face. Well, I mean, he's a nice enough bloke, but you wouldn't it wouldn't make you want to vote for him, nor did it. <laughs> and, and so with Mrs Jackson, I resolved not to have her face in the posters. Nice though she was, said he politely, but. It, it doesn't. You're not going to vote for a face. You're going to vote for an issue. You're going to vote for somebody touching areas where you feel strongly. That does sort of answer my question. I think perhaps what neither of you are, are grappling with, and maybe I'm not being clear enough about it, is is I feel because um, I, I love the three word slogan thing, and I remember when the Vote Leave Party uh, for the UK referendum over staying in Europe when they came out with Take Back Control. I remember thinking, oh, okay, so now now this is the this is the thing that's going that's going to turn things, and and certainly whether this is just hindsight speaking, that has become how people think of that. And yet these these um, issues have become so divisive and so uh, upsetting in the country that I feel like I, I suppose I'm saying are the are these simplified slogans they work? That is certainly the case. But do they are they have they been damaging too or I don't know. Sana, what do you think? So for me, I feel like this idea of kind of being politically neutral or, you know, it just kind of, it just works. And, you know, the aim is just to get votes. It doesn't sit with me personally very well. I feel like the work you produce just has consequences. And we can't, as designers or advertisers, kind of absolve ourselves of any kind of consequence or responsibility just because, you know, that's just a client and that's what they want. And maybe that's because this hits, like, home to me. You know, personally, you know, I'm a, you know, South Asian, like, woman who's Muslim. So, you know, growing up in Britain and kind of hearing from the likes of, like, the BNP to, like, the EDL and, dare I say, some more recent work by the Conservatives, um, this doesn't just... um, it fuels hate and it fuels massive consequences, not just at the ballot box, but in my life personally. So like more recently, there was that, um, uh, like social media campaign by the Conservatives, which was, you know, your, um, they had like a half face of the kind of Labour MP and the other side basically said, you know, your MP voted to keep illegal migrants in Britain. You know, they voted against that, the Borders Bill. And... Firstly, that was just false in the sense that the issue wasn't just as simple as the keeping illegal, you know, migrants in Britain. Actually, it was about voting against a bill which essentially removed the rights of family reunions. So there were potentially um, consequences for like families to be reunited, to you know, relocating you know people to to Rwanda. And so for me, like, and that kind of um, Use of language is detrimental. It doesn't help us have a healthy conversation around issues like immigration. We do need to have conversations, but in a healthy and truthful way. And, and you know, that's something which I saw a lot out in Brexit. There were a lot of um, posts. I think there was a knockoff, actually, of the Labour Isn't Working, which um, Nigel Farage did. And it was like a massive line of, like, migrants. And that was him being, this is why we need to, like, back Brexit. And that kind of fueled this kind of xenophobia around ethnic minority groups. 
Um, and I saw um, lots of hate crime rise during that time. A lot of people in my family were personally affected. So for me, I, that's where this idea of absolving ourselves of kind of consequences of what we make doesn't sit with me well at all. And I know you might not be able to find the perfect client or however there should be things we should say no to, things which are just completely not true, things which are just going to fuel hate in communities. And then I'm surely there's a much more clever and smarter way of kind of having that debate. That, yeah, that's just how I feel on that. I think it's um, very easy as advertisers to take ourselves extremely seriously and hold ourselves responsible for things that are fundamentally about more than just us. You know, we've always been in the age of the political slogan, for better or worse. You used to see it on a billboard or in the newspaper. Now it's in a screen in your pocket, all over your social media feed and top of the news bulletin. There are more demands on our attention than ever before, and that means brands of all types, even political ones, need to be succinct and get to the point about what they say. And look, it's easy to criticise something being used for three words, but that three-word points are incredibly powerful. You know, as an example, if you look at the apple.com website, almost every single headline on that page will be three words long, and that's because science tells us that's easy for people to remember. But just because we've articulated something in three words doesn't mean that that is, you know, the the be-all and end-all for all discourse on a particular issue. We do need to separate, you know, healthy discussion about political issues from a slogan which is used as a shorthand to help people understand what different parties and candidates stand for, because that's essentially all it is. A slogan is a marker that helps people understand the promises offered by politicians, and that gives us a better opportunity to criticise those promises or discuss those promises or hold them accountable. Get Brexit done worked for Boris Johnson in 2019 because people knew, you know, that he was a politician that believed in resolving the deadlock around Brexit and actually resolving that issue so the country can move on. New Labour, New Britain worked because Tony Blair stood for something new and he was presenting a, you know, a a vision, a picture of what Britain would look like under him. In both of these examples, people believe the slogan is more than just empty words. They believed in the person delivering it and the capability to deliver on the promise of that slogan. And I think that's a healthy way for us to think about the power of a slogan. I've never written a slogan. I've never asked any of my people to write a slogan. We write headlines. A slogan has a sort of fatuous sound to it. Whereas Labour isn't working, it wasn't a slogan, it was a headline. And nobody knew it was going to last 50, 60 years. We were writing a headline to a poster. And the only shortness and brevity of the headline Our view is if you can't make your statement short and pithy and to the point, then you should go back to the drawing board and think further. The whole essence of life, you've got to be able to say something simple and make it strong and powerful. And I suppose I'm sort of biased on this because I was brought up in the Christian tradition and we had simple instructions like thou shalt not kill. This is taken from the Old Testament. It didn't say what you shouldn't kill. It said thou shalt not kill. So the the best the best signposts for life, I think, are short and succinct. And if you can't make it short, you're in the wrong job. Yeah, no, and certainly now, because it's clear how much those messages, when they're clear, cut through now. You mentioned New Labour, uh, New Britain. I feel that the Labour Party hasn't quite had the same level of, of slogans since that period. Um and you know perhaps that plays a part in some of uh, 
some of their place in in people's minds. Um, I'm interested just to ask, you've all mentioned about uh, working with politicians and political parties as clients. With that in mind, do you have to sort of believe in what they're doing to to work with them broadly? I mean, it doesn't have to be every single thing they do, but do you have to to sort of be a part of their political um, side to do that? Or do you think you can be neutral? Um, Ben, what do you think about that? The answer is simple. You don't need to believe. The reality is elections are not about speaking to diehard, you know, dial in the wool, you know, party supporters. Elections are when parties and politicians have a go at convincing swing voters to, you know, give them their vote. You've got to earn it. You've got to work for it. And you've got to do that by speaking to normal people. And, you know, by being a bit more neutral about, you know, what a party believes, you have an opportunity to be open minded and to empathize with these audiences to do better work. And unlike a corporate brand, you know, you're selling, you know, you're selling, selling a car, you're working for Audi, you want to be behind the wheel of an Audi, understanding, you know, how that product works. But it's not the same in politics. What do you think, Sana? So I, I feel very differently. So this is what makes it so interesting having, having this conversation. Again, it goes back to like, you mentioned the car, and that's what you would sell. But with politics, you are selling essentially policies. And they, they, they affect millions of people's lives. Dare I say billions, depending, you know, if it's a Western democracy, you know, who we vote for doesn't have just consequences to somebody in Manchester, have consequences to somebody all the way in Iraq and Pakistan. So for me personally, like, I might not agree with absolutely everything, you know, word by word in the manifesto, but the underlying values and principles to me are essential. You know, these are people who are going to, make a difference in one way or another to somebody's life. And I want to make sure like that person is the best person that they can be. Like before I work with a client, um, I interview them to just get a sense of that, which I know people could find that really strange. But for me, I need to make sure that I'm basically not letting somebody in who's a racist or you know, a xenophobe or a homophobe and all these other horrible things. I want to make sure that that's somebody is at least principled and has the same values as I do. So that if they do get in power, I am, tr- at least in my gut, I'm trusting that they're not going to do horrific damage to society. So yeah, that's that's how I feel on that. How about you, Jeremy? I think it helps if you have broad sympathy with the philosophy of the party that you're promoting, um, which we certainly did, at least I certainly did with Conservatives. I do think that people are wiser handling their own money than handling somebody else's money. And I do think the free market is better than a communist type regime. So I'm a, I'm a believer in freedom and free market. And I'm a believer in, you know, rule of law and all the rest of it. So the conservative values I are close to my heart as it happens. It's not every single policy that they've ever come up with. I agree with. I wouldn't sign them off. No. But just in broad philosophic sense, I think their uh, their values are I would agree with. Okay, so with that in mind, because that's quite interesting. In a way, you've all answered sort of slightly differently to each other. In some cases, quite radically differently. Um, but I'm just interested uh, to talk about when campaigns don't work. So when things go wrong uh, in the campaign. So Jeremy, I'm going to stick with you because um, obviously. You did Labour isn't working, but you also uh, worked for the Conservative Party for a long time, and there were other very famous campaigns you did, um, including the the one of where Tony Blair, against Tony Blair, which which had Tony Blair with the sort of demon eyes. 
And obviously that that one didn't didn't work. It didn't lead to the Conservative Party winning. So I don't think there's anything we could have done that would have stopped Tony Blair and his team winning. I think the country was tired of the Conservatives. It wanted a change, and uh, I think the poster became famous, but uh, it didn't do it didn't do much good. We didn't really expect to win, so we were just trying to be as uh, as strong as we could do, so we could stand out as much as possible. Um, but we, but uh, yeah, sometimes they win, sometimes they don't. For example, when we did Labour's tax bombshell, you know, it had a, a good call. So, but occasionally you do come up with a, a mega loser, and uh, Tony Blair was going to win, and in fact, in all probability, he should have won. Ben, how about you? Have you experienced being on the other side of it? Yeah, I think if you do enough elections, uh, you know, you're going to be on the right side sometimes and, and unlucky at other times. And I think it's worth, you know, bearing in mind what um, what Jeremy just said about Tony Blair, right? There are fundamentals at play in any election that are going to have more of a bearing on the outcome than, you know, whatever you do in advertising. You know, Bloomberg in the US, when he ran for president, uh, spent about a billion dollars on his campaign and he dropped out. You know, and in that essence, advertising acts as a multiplier. And if the conditions are not right for, you know, for, for your candidate or for your message, or what you're standing for, then you're, you're multiplying your advertising by zero and it's not, it's not going to work. So, you know, I think what's really important, actually, is to understand at the beginning of a campaign what those fundamentals are and what the battleground is where the selection is going to be won or lost. Because if you get that right, you can maximize your chances of framing your advertising on the right messages and in the right way to maximise your chances of winning. Yes, strategy is everything. I wanted to just finish by just looking ahead now to um, what would you advise to, like how far ahead should parties be thinking for the next general election? If this is assuming in the UK, the next one is in, in two years time, who knows whether that will be the case or not, but say it is, should they be starting now to think of those messages that you talk about, Ben? Should they be bringing the add and design people in at this early stage what would you be advising planning is everything you know we often find in a campaign that you know you're brought in you know often often with too much time to have a big impact the longer that you're running a campaign the more time you have to learn and refine and adapt Um, and that doesn't just mean you know picking a slogan there's so much more to a campaign to that we spoke a lot about slogans today but you need to look at your fundraising infrastructure you need to look at the size of your digital channels you know, your, your capability to use volunteers, all of those are factors that can be improved by having more time to plan. So, you know, the sooner you can start, the better. Yes. Would you agree with that, Sana? What would you what would you be telling the Labour Party now to be thinking about? Very good question. Um, personally, I will be saying for one moment, forget the design and advertising. Let's work on the strategy. Um, and basically, what what is a story you want to say? You know, we talk about, let's say, Tony Blair. He had a great story. He was young, enthusiastic. He had policies. He seemed to be, um, like, visionary. He was tackling issues at that time, whether that were the discontent, let's say, in that time was the strikes happening to the economic slowdown. So he had a great story and a great narrative, and he spent time and effort working on that, not just, like, one month before, but way before at the conferences and testing out different policies. For me right now, what I would say to Labour is let's think about that story. Let's think about that narrative and that vision. What is it that you're actually saying to people that you offer? Um, So yeah, definitely at the moment, just think about the strategy. 
think about um, how do we get activists involved and increase membership because they're the, the, the heart and soul of the labour movement and then go into the design. Yes. Jeremy, let's, let's finish with you. Would you agree with, with what Sana and Ben say that, that it's, it's strategy now and then the, the sort of finessing later? Only more so. You're late already. They should have appointed their agency weeks ago, months ago. They need to get on with it. And the, uh, so I'm just saying, yes, sooner the better, but get going immediately. Really get on with it now. Yes. Okay. Well, that seems a, a good moment, a moment of urgency to end the show on. As I say, I feel that, you know, this is such a, a rich topic that we could talk at much longer and, and more more fruitfully on, but we have to close there because we, we've talked for a while. So I'm going to leave it there and say thank you hugely to Jeremy, Sana and Ben for being part of this episode and, and for joining us on Creativity Sucks. And thanks to everyone for listening. I hope you'll listen to the rest of the shows. You can subscribe to be alerted when they arrive. Uh, and you can also, of course, always visit creativereview.co.uk for more of our content. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.